Hello, I'm Jameis. And I'm Tessa. Welcome to our podcast that celebrates wordiness and nerdiness and sometimes plain absurdiness. Please join us for today's episode of Your Your New New Favorite Favorite Word. Here we are again for the 16th time. Welcome, and welcome to all our new listeners. We know that several of our longtime listeners have been spreading the word, and we greatly appreciate that. If you're new here, we hope your new favorite word might just become your new favorite podcast. If you enjoy it, please spread the word. I'd like to take a moment and recognize Tessa. She took her music therapy board exam yesterday and nailed it! Yay! Woohoo! <laughs> she is now credentialed, folks. Tessa Buck, MTBC. Hooray! That's huge. Congratulations, Tessa. Thanks. In honor of that accomplishment, how about you go first today? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in trying to decide which word to focus on for today's episode, I explored a few different possibilities. And in that process, I was led to an entry on Edom Online for the word die, D-I-E. Now, this entry talked about how in Old English, they had a lot of really different words to talk about dying that were not related to each other. Some of them were borrowed from other languages. And the writers of Edom Online had this to say about that. They said, languages usually don't borrow words from abroad for central life experiences, but die words are an exception. Interesting. They often are hidden or changed euphemistically out of superstitious dread. Mm, so something we don't sense. want to talk about too much. We yeah. use different words for it. And But then there was this. A Dutch euphemism translates as to give the pipe to Martin. <laughs> <laughs> as a way to say that someone is going to die. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yes. So when I read that, I knew that that's what I wanted to explore. Euphemisms for death and dying. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So hopefully not too creepy or anything like that. (laughs) Um, But it's really interesting, and some of these are actually very, very humorous. So technically my new favorite word, even though it's a word I already know, euphemism. The Oxford English Dictionary defines it as a figure of speech, which consists in the substitution of a word or expression of comparatively favorable implication or less unpleasant associations instead of the harsher or more offensive one that would more precisely designate what is intended. Mm. So there's a word, a concept, an idea that we need to communicate, but the word itself, for some reason, is possibly forbidden or a little bit inappropriate for a different context or just uncomfortable. And so we find a substitute that's a little softer, adds a little humor, kind of changes how we talk about something. That's a euphemism. And whenever I think about that word, I always remember a story that you told me, Janus, (laughs) about one of your professors in college. Do you want to tell us that? Sure. So yeah, Professor Burton, my computer graphics professor at BYU. (laughs) At the beginning of every semester in his class, he'd give the little intro spiel about, you know, the rules for the class. And his thing was, and if you ever need to go use the euphemism, <laughs> you're an adult, just go use it. <laughs> I just loved that yes. explicit use of euphemism as a euphemism. <laughs> yes, it's perfect. And so I was thinking about that, about all the euphemisms we use for the toilet, right? We In public, we don't say, I need to use the toilet or where's the toilet, even though in some other cultures they would. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so what are some euphemisms you know for the toilet? The john. <laughs> the restroom. There you go. Right. The ladies' room or the men's room. The bathroom. The powder room is very... <laughs> <laughs> Kind of old-fashioned one, but can be used sometimes. The facilities. <laughs> there you go. That's a good one. If you have small children, you might call it the potty. Um, so these are there are more, too. Some are more or less appropriate depending <laughs> on the context. But a lot of different ways to say something that might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable in certain company or something like that. So I remember I had friends from other countries who would say, why do you call it the bathroom? You don't, you're not using the bath in there. <laughs> but it's a euphemism, right? You don't know exactly what we're doing in there when we're going to the bathroom. <laughs> in the 1650s, English borrowed the word from Greek, euphemismos. And this is a superstitious avoidance of words of ill omen. Mm. So we weren't just talking about things that made us uncomfortable, but we're talking about something that we thought might have magical power to hurt us in some way or to be to have a negative consequence in our lives. And so we didn't want to use these words, and so we created other words that were used in place of them. So the word euphemismos in Greek comes from the prefix eu, eu meaning good or well, and the root theme, p-h-e-m-e. Speech, voice, utterance. Like grapheme. Exactly. So, yes, a part of language, mm -hmm. right? So good speech, right, is what we want to use instead of this forbidden word. I love it. A euphemism. And I found this gem in Wikipedia, this great description. Euphime is a reference to the female Greek spirit of words of praise and positivity, the term euphemism itself was used as a euphemism by the ancient Greeks with the meaning to keep a holy silence. Oh, fascinating. <laughs> meaning that speaking well by not speaking at all could be good. Cool. Yeah. So anytime we have an un unpleasant or inappropriate topic, we might want to use something less unpleasant. And this comes out in, in our speech, at, sometimes in humorous ways. We might have colloquial ways that we are saying things. They might be poetic. Um, they might also be religious to talk about death. So specifically, euphemisms for death. Very interesting. So I looked and I, I found so many of these and I know there are many, many more. I won't be able to do it complete justice, but I'll put a lot of links in the show notes where you can read about this more if you're interested. But I found some different categories of euphemisms for death. So the first one is when we're talking about moving to another sphere of existence. Instead of saying she died, we might say she passed on, she passed away, she went to heaven, she went to meet her maker, she went to find eternal rest, um, she left this world, she departed, mm -hmm. things like that. This idea of moving to another plane of existence. Another set of these euphemisms involve metaphors from life experiences or occupations or things that we're familiar with in this life. And some of these are very humorous <laughs> and might take some explanation sometimes. But for example, to kick the bucket. <laughs> I was just thinking of that one. Yeah. To buy the farm, to check out, 
kind of the metaphor of checking out of a hotel or checking out of this life, to cash in one's chips, to cross the bar, to be snuffed out like a candle, to keel over, it's like a reference to a ship capsizing, to ride into the sunset, mm-hmm. <laughs> like a cowboy reference, or it was curtains <laughs> at the end of a play, right? Well, and I'm reminded, too, of like one of our early episodes where I talked about hobos. Mm-hmm. And one of the hobo slang words for to die was to catch the westbound. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That was exactly this idea. I had forgotten about that yeah. reference, but thanks for bringing that up. So other euphemisms for death refer to the physical process of dying. To turn one's toes up, to croak, to expire, to breathe one's last to give up the ghost, this idea that the spirit leaves the body. And then references to the grave itself or the cultural practices surrounding burial. Pushing up daisies. Mm-hmm. Taking a dirt nap. That's one I've never heard in <laughs> practice before. But it sounds almost like something you might hear in a detective novel or something Yeah, like exactly. That. Or six feet under. Um, this one's... Hilarious and horrible all at once. Going into the fertilizer business. (laughs) (laughs) Or to to be laid to rest or to return to dust. So these are some different categories of how we come up with euphemisms for death. But then going back to giving the pipe to Martin, I was curious about other languages and other cultures and how they refer to death euphemistically. Um, I found some really interesting forum discussions online where people ask this question, how do you talk about death in your language? What are Mm. the euphemisms? Um, I'll put the links to those in the show notes. And so these are by no means official, and they're just from individual people's experiences. Some of these might be regional. They might be outdated, you know, but, but they're very interesting. There's a lot to learn from these. So in French... They might say, to put one's weapon on the left side means to die. And I'm not sure where that comes from. that's really interesting. I haven't yet found the meaning of that, but I will keep looking. This one, to eat dandelions by the roots. (laughs) (laughs) I think I have heard that one. It's very descriptive. And this shows up in a lot of languages. In German and Hungarian, they say to bite the grass. And Mm -hmm. we talk about biting the dust sometimes. Um, in German, to look at the grass or the radishes from below. In Dutch, to look at the daisies from below. Polish and Hebrew, smelling the flowers from below. <laughs> oh, interesting. Or Spanish, to yeah. grow daisies, like we say, pushing up daisies. So daisies have something to do with death. That's interesting in a lot of cultures. It's coming up, like. yeah. Yeah. Um, this one was hilarious. So French, to swallow one's birth certificate. Oh, well. <laughs> is to die. <laughs> Oh, interesting. And, yeah, and who knows how widespread that uh-huh. is, but I thought that was very humorous. To break one's pipe and to give one's soul back were other ones from French. Hmm. Um, from German, to go over Jordan, so kind of a biblical reference, and that's going to show up anywhere you might have uh, a Christian religion. And this one is so interesting. To pass on the spoon or to give up the spoon. Huh. So what's the significance of a spoon? I don't know, but it's interesting. So in Afrikaans... They have a phrase, to jab the spoon into the ceiling, is a euphemism for death. And then in Finnish, to throw a spoon in the corner. 
So that's very intriguing. Yeah. Uh, that deserves more research. I didn't have time to go in depth to a lot of these. But. It makes me think of the like someone being born with a silver spoon in their oh, hand. Oh, interesting. Like that idea. I wonder if there's any correlation there. But. Yeah, maybe that idea that you can't take it with you, right? That that's something for this life, a spoon and eating it. and yeah. and you're you're giving that up. Interesting. So. Yeah, definitely worth more research. Yeah. But I thought that was interesting that it came up in different languages like that. And then to go to the eternal hunting grounds or the happy hunting grounds. And that one showed up in a lot of languages. And so I did look a little more into that one. And it turns out that in James Fenimore Cooper's The Last of the Mohicans, the very end of the book talks about someone going to the happy hunting grounds from a Native American tribe. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if that's actually a Native American phrase or if he made it up for the book. But from that book, this phrase has proliferated around the world. And in a lot of languages, they talk about it in that way. They say that when someone dies, they're going to the happy hunting grounds or the eternal hunting grounds is another Hmm. way they say it. So Cooper, his work lives on. Yeah, wow. (laughs) So this is one of my all-time favorites of all these Swiss-German to close the umbrella. (laughs) (laughs) Really? What a cool metaphor for passing away. Yeah, I love that on so many levels. Yeah, so that's one that I've been thinking about a lot. I really like it. Um, In Greek... To cast off the petals, like a flower. It's kind of beautiful. Italian. And this also shows up in Spanish and Portuguese. To stretch out one's legs. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> to die. Yeah. Um, or in Italian, to wake up under a cypress. So uh, apparently a cypress tree is one commonly found in Italian cemeteries. So mm. a reference to a cemetery. That's kind of a beautiful image. Yeah. Uh, and then we have in Spanish... To move to the other neighborhood, or in Cuban Spanish, to move to the face-up neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) Face-up. Yeah, like in the grave, right? Focusing on the body in the grave. Um, To hang one's shoes, and this is reflected in Danish as well, to leave one's clogs behind. Mm. It's very evocative. And then to dream the last or eternal dream was another Spanish one. And I'm just scratching the surface, oh, like sure. I said. So, but it's so fascinating. Okay, in Polish, they say to kick the calendar. <laughs> the calendar. You're, so thinking about time, you're giving yeah. up time, right? Um, but a lot of cultures talk about kicking in some way in re- regards to death. So we talk about kicking the bucket, right? In Cuban Spanish, to kick the can. Um, in Afrikaans, they also say kick the bucket. In Russian, to cast off one's hooves. Hungarian to kick one's feet up in the air or one's boots up in the air. And, you know, that's very evocative, too, of someone really falling over in their feet and coming up in the Mm -hmm. air. But then in Portuguese, to beat one's boots one against the other. So evoking a military sort of idea. So um, an old-fashioned military protocol before you were dismissed or when you were dismissed, you clicked your heels together and turned around and left. Oh, interesting. So this idea being related to dying, leaving this world, being dismissed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, this is another of my favorites. Portuguese, to wear wood pajamas. (laughs) (laughs) That's so evocative. (laughs) Yes, I love it. Or to go go to the kingdom of united legs. United legs. (laughs) So your legs are together, right? Uh It's kind of like stretching out your legs. 
in some of the other languages. Not eating mangoes next season. (laughs) 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 Or going upstairs. And that's interesting, too. We talk about heaven as upstairs sometimes in our culture as well. In Dutch, turning around the little corner. Romanian also has turning at the corner. Mm. Like, you know, you can't see what's around that corner, but you're, you're heading that way. And then in Hungarian, talking about leaving things behind, leaving one's teeth <laughs> or handing in the key. Mm. So I was just so fascinated by this. I could not find all the information I wanted about this yet. I want to dig deeper. This is the kind of thing I would love to actually write a research paper about just for fun. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy. I am a word nerd of great proportions, as you can tell. But... Well, and you have more time now that you're done studying for that exam, right? So <laughs> Sure. Why not just write a research paper about euphemisms for death? Yeah, I think that would be fascinating. <laughs> So, as I said, I will put a lot of links in the show notes where you can read more about what I found. And if I find out more information, I will post that as well. Awesome. Thank you, Tessa. Okay, so for me, my new favorite word is actually a new favorite Proto-Indo-European root. (laughs) (laughs) So let me illustrate it with a rather silly story. Oh, we like the stories. So a boxer stood in the ring, hot and sweaty and victorious after his match, and perhaps more than a little bit smelly. Braving the odor, the press raced up to interview him about his triumphant left hook, which was famous for always landing exactly when and where he wanted it. One reporter compared it to a deadly dagger, but the boxer sneered. Daggers are for sissies, he claimed. (laughs) The subsequent headline read, Pungent pugilist with poignantly punctual punch impugns repugnant poniard's point. <laughs> are all those words from the same root? They are. Oh, all of them it. except with. Oh, okay. <laughs> derived from the same Proto Indo European root, which is peok, meaning to prick. Now, who knew that such a simple concept as to prick could spawn such an inspiring variety of concepts? I love that. So, of the words that contrived in that contrived headline, some make intuitive sense as derivatives of a word meaning to prick. Like, a pugilist is one who punches. A poniard or dagger has a point, and being punctual literally means you're on the point. Uh, Interestingly, punctual used to be used in some senses to refer to a physical point, like actual place, as in John Milton's Paradise Lost, where he says, This opacous earth, this punctual spot. These days it's lost a lot of its punch. (laughs) And punch is actually short for punchin which is originally a French word describing a tool for stamping a design on an object. I've heard of that. Yeah. Interestingly, and I'm not sure the connection here, but it also referred to timber used for support, as in the door fell off from the puncheon. And in North America, it came to describe things that were made of puncheons, like a puncheon fort or a puncheon roof. And interestingly, and perhaps more to the point... (laughs) I see what you did (laughs) The word was also used as another word for dagger. And speaking of daggers, a poniard is said by the OED to be a short, slim dagger. Shakespeare used it figuratively in Much Ado About Nothing when he said, She speaks poniards and every word stabs. (laughs) The word appears to have evolved to mean a dagger from hilt of a sword via the meaning of that which one operates with the fist, which is from the Latin word pugnus which means fist. And that's also where we get the root of the the word pugilist. But that's one who fights with their fists. Mm, 
and repugnant, being distasteful to, or earlier, being resistant or opposed to. Hmm. So my favorite applications of this root, though, are the words poignant, Hmm. pungent, and impugn, Hmm. which are all just fun words to say. Today, poignant has a fairly specific meaning, that of evoking a sense of sorrowful tenderness or regret. But you can see where that could come from. Yeah, exactly. Its earlier usages actually reflect its uh, pointy heritage. For example, it was used to refer to a sharp taste or smell, like the sharper meaning before it kind of got the softer meaning. Like we would use piquant or even pungent to mean Mm. that. So imagine hearing someone say something tastes or smells poignant. Mm. Like we would interpret that very differently today. Yes, definitely. Originally, that actually meant it had this sharp flavor. Uh, It can also refer to a weapon as in, this weapon made so poignant and deadly. (laughs) Again, we hear that word poignant and we associate it with something differently. Mm -hmm. Or the poignant horns of fell and ireful bulls. And it could be used figuratively, like to give a poignant edge to their courage or for one's eyesight to be poignant. Hmm. Pungent, also used to describe something sharp or stabbing. Charlotte Bronte wrote in one of her books, My pleasure was now poisoned by pungent pain. And interestingly, that phrase pungent pain, if you go to the Google Ngram search and compare pungent pain with sharp pain, you can see that around 1800, it was about the same level of usage. Interesting. Yeah, pungent pain. And of course, pungent pain fell off and sharp pain rose um, and fell into disuse. And you can imagine my disappointment is pungent <laughs> <laughs> and impugn. Nowadays, I've only ever heard it in the sense of to call something into question or to dispute the truth of something as to impugn one's honor, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it derives from the Latin word meaning to attack or assail, impugnare, and there's that pugnus root again. Impugn too was once used in that very sense. Uh, as one 17th century writer demonstrates with, he laid siege to Damascus, which he so notably impugned. <laughs> Lastly, as just kind of a quick footnote, I want to mention two more kind of rare or niche words that I really liked that share the same prickly Proto-European <laughs> root. Punty. It's a long, solid rod used in glass blowing. We watched mm. that uh, Netflix show, Blown Away. That's right. And I remember them referring to punties and not really knowing what it <laughs> How was. How do you spell that? P-U-N-T-Y. Okay. So a glass blower first uses a blowpipe to inflate the glass. And once it's at the right size, they transfer it to a punty, which they then use to hold it in place while they're shaping the glass. Mm. It comes from the French word, French word pontille which literally means little point. <laughs> and pink as a verb. I don't know the, oh, the, like the color. like pinking shears. Exactly, like pinking shears. That's about the only place we use it anymore. It's very different from the color, which has a different etymology, but as a verb it meant to stab or prick or perforate. Hmm. And there's lots of examples in the OED, but one of them was, one of them pinked the other in a duel. <laughs> <laughs> I firmly believe this, word's needs, this word needs to come back into use. <laughs> and if I had to choose one word from all of this as my new favorite word, it would be the verb to pink. I like that <laughs> a lot. But I love this about language, that one simple concept, to prick, can give rise to such a wealth of ideas. It sometimes feels like the original speakers of the Proto-Indo-European languages, like way back you know, thousands of years ago, feels like they must have been so deprived because they didn't have this wealth, this heritage of language that we have today. But 
I think that's only because we don't have the language yeah. they actually spoke. That's what I was going to say. It's just reconstructed at this exactly. point, and it's not based on written languages, and so written records, I'm, I need to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, like, in reality, their speech would have been every bit as rich mm-hmm. as all the surviving lang- because living languages human. today. Right. Yeah. They had words to describe their experience. They had euphemisms, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Their own language, I'm sure, derived from some earlier languages and borrowed and had that, that heritage. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing about language that I've always loved. Every language always has complexity and simplicity. It's just different from language to language where you mm-hmm. find that. So, Thanks so much, James, and thanks to our listeners. We're so glad you joined us. We would love for you to continue to listen and learn with us. We would love for you to share with us any feedback you have, any interesting euphemisms that you are drawn to in English or any other language. We would love to know what your new favorite word is. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time.